It is the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your Tuesday. Gordon, let's continue to talk a little football. Let's get out of the Sprint special guest line. Want to remind you, you can lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. He does play-by-play work for the Pac-12 Network. Also for the LA Rams, he is JB Long with us on the big show. Hi, JB. How are you today? We lose JB. We'll get JB back. We will. Within seconds is my prediction. Well, that's what Austin does, you know. I mean, right now, I'm I'm saying I'm, I'm <laughs> Really? Austin unplugged the phone. The phone the, the phone came unplugged. <laughs> wow, that's a new one. Poor so JB. We hung up on JB. We hung up on JB. That's not good. It's not a good way to get things started. Hmm. Well, it may be more than a few seconds. So. Got to get it re-plugged in. <laughs> that has never happened before. Come on. No, that uh, usually... Did you pull the phone over and it just went click? Hmm. Well, Austin's uh, getting JB back on the horn. <laughs> JB uh, goes, well, that was rude. All right, uh, JB is ready. JB Long with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. JB, sorry about that. That the, the phone came unplugged, and that's something that's literally never happened to us we before. We hang up on all our guests, JB. Hey, first time for everything. Hi, Jake. Hi, Gordon. Thanks for having me by. Absolutely. Our pleasure, JB. And we were just saying we want to get your thoughts on the Utes, and we'll get that right off. But we have tons to get to with you, both from the college and pro ranks. But Utah gets a win over their rival BYU in week one. What were some of your impressions? Super impressive. I mean, it looked like they were dialed in. And I think any win would have been a good win, given what their ambitions are. Um, But certainly the way they dominated that second half, I just like their identity, and at times in recent years covering the Utes, uh, especially when there have been some down moments, it seems like the difficulty has been not having that downhill running game, uh, smash-mouth-first type identity, and it's it's there. It's there in a big way to complement everything else they have going on, uh, especially on defense. If the question marks are offensive line and linebackers, it seems like they pass their first test with flying colors. Uh, but mostly just avoiding the, the self-inflicted wounds that plague so many teams around college football in week one. Uh, I like no turnovers, uh, very few turnover-worthy throws or plays, kept the penalties down, uh, didn't allow the quarterback to be sacked. I mean, those are all just great places to start any campaign, especially in college football. What are your thoughts on Zach Moss? You were talking about the running game there. This guy is really good. He's awesome. And I'm happy with the decision that he made, and I hope it pays off in spades uh, for, you know, rewarding himself, rewarding his youths, um, finishing atop the record book. He's going to be a problem for any defense to bring down. He always has been, and he, you know, came back from that knee injury and looked like the Zach Moss of old. Uh, Perhaps no more encouraging sign for the team than that. Uh, but just as kind of an addendum to that, how good do you have to be for Jordan Wilmore to have cracked this running back rotation yeah. and to basically get you know second string reps behind behind that senior talent? That's pretty impressive too, and I can't wait to see what his future has in store. JB, um, anytime a, a, a college football program loses a, a starting quarterback, it, it's going to have an impact. I mean, it, there's there's no doubt about it. But USC was in some dire straits coming into the year. Is that worst case scenario for them to lose JT Daniels game one? And it all plays into this week and this season. I mean, it all reflects back on the Utes. And if they had the clearest path to the playoff out of the Pac-12, all the more so now. Uh, I'm not saying it's not still a huge game in a couple of weeks. Certainly it is. Every league game will be. But I imagine uh, your audience, certainly my mind, is starting to think, 
man, maybe that Washington game or the Washington State game might be their toughest. Maybe, you know, the South is the least of their concerns in terms of their uh, grandest ambition, which is going to the Rose Bowl and eventually uh, maybe playing for a national championship. Uh, yeah, you know, living here in Los Angeles, uh, I saw that firsthand and I've read, you know, all the reaction, heard all the reaction. It's a tough time right now in Troy, which is not to say they can't still have a great season, but uh, needing an interception at the end in, in the end zone to seal a win over Fresno State is not how they saw this starting. Does SC have a, a, a quarterback who can step in and, and, and lead that program and save Clay Helton's job, or is are, are they – are they really going to be hurting from that perspective? Well, the freshman Slovis, that they're going to start, I mean, if there's any silver lining, it's that Stanford might be in a similar position depending on KJ Costello's status for this weekend. So uh, if they can just find a way um, until they do settle in at quarterback, perhaps perhaps they can still make some headway in the Pac-12 South, but it, it hurts their chances. There's no way around that. I, again, the only way I can probably spend that positive is does it make them more of a complementary football run first, uh, lean on their talent at uh, the skill positions in a more even way? I mean, I'm really stretching for uh, for a way to pitch USC as championship worthy in their current state. Do you see JB any team that can step up to truly uh, uh, compete with the Utes? You mentioned you were talking about this earlier, but is there a surprise team that could rise up? Well, I think I would need to see more from the South. I mean, if we're just talking about their division pass first, uh, you know, ASU got a nice win, but they're playing with a freshman quarterback. Uh, Arizona took a tough loss at Hawaii and turned it over a half a dozen times. Um, Colorado is is imperfect, but they've got some nice pieces, and I think on any given weekend could put a surprise into someone. I just haven't seen that matchup firsthand last year between the Buffs and the Utes. It's tough for me to see that one going against Utah. So I gravitate more to the North. And even though Oregon lost against Auburn from, you know, lose from in front style, I still think they have the potential um, to give Utah some problems. You know, Washington, strangely, you could make the case that they somehow got better at quarterback, uh, given all that they've accomplished the last few years under Chris Peterson. And Washington State, my goodness, they don't seem like they're going to miss a beat at all. And if, you know, that quarterback competition went down to the wire and they chose Anthony Gordon and, Gordon sure um, rewarded Mike Leach's confidence with a 29 of 35 uh, five-touchdown performance. So I think there are a lot more challengers in the North, uh, which is not to say that a nine-game schedule uh, that goes through the South is going to be any walk in the park either. JB, along uh, with us from the Pac-12 Network on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. JB, I was down at Pac-12 Media Day, and the first thing Mike Leach said when they uh, when they when he sat down or sat down with us was something along the lines of, "Well, I see they picked us to stink again. Why does yeah. why why do we not have faith in the Cougars and Mike <laughs> Leach? Why why do we always seem to overlook them?" Well, two things pop into my mind. First of all, the, the kind of revolving door they've had at quarterback um, since, like, Luke Falk, right? And, and if you're going to change quarterback every year, I think people will naturally overlook you, even though Mike Leach now has a more than proven track record of being able to plug and play at that position. And then secondly, I would say it's, it's the rivalry against Washington. Like, it's hard to pick Washington State to contend and to win it all when they haven't steadily been able to prove that they can beat the team that they're going to finish with every year. And I know conditions were adverse uh, in in Pullman and in years past, and there's all sorts of uh, ways to explain that away. But 
you know, could you could you pick USC to to win the conference year after year if they were having you know if they were in a rut against UCLA, or could you pick Arizona State if they just couldn't get over the hump against Arizona? I think that's probably uh, what comes to mind first when Washington State gets overlooked every every year. With the reputation that the Pac-12 has nationally, what's it going to take for a team, say a conference champion, to find its way into the playoff consideration? Yeah, I mean, as you guys are keenly aware, there are a few things um, that did not go the league's way. Uh, the Arizona loss at Hawaii hurts, uh, most notably the, the Oregon inability to hold on to that multi-score lead against Auburn in the marquee game of the week. Um, you know, but, but there were some other things that I think were very positive. Stanford defeating a division champion in Northwestern out of the Big Ten. Uh, we've already touched on Washington and Washington State. Um, you know, Cal, I think, is going to continue to give a lot of league opponents and non-conference opponents problems because of how stout their defense is. Uh, but to me, it's, it's Utah carrying the banner right now. I mean, they're, they're the ones to watch. I think all eyes across the Pac-12 and even across the country should rightly be in Salt Lake City. I think their talent is there. I think their coaching staff is proven, uh, their ability to win games in the postseason. And, and the schedule lines up, let's face it. I mean, there's a reason why people looked at them and said, hey, this, this might be a team that can win them all this year. And I believe that, and what we saw last week in Provo certainly validates that. So, I, you know, even though on the whole, was it, a, uh, was it an A or a B opening week for the Pac-12? Probably not. But for certain teams within it that I think have championship chops like Washington and Utah, there's nothing to regret there that I've seen. JB, it, uh, as I hear some of the national commentary about the Oregon-Auburn game, it bugs me a little bit. People uh, freaking out or putting too much emphasis on that or, or even going back to Auburn-Washington last year. Because if, if a team gets through the Pac-12 and they have one or no losses, they're getting into the playoff. I mean, regardless of this perception issue, and maybe it's one of those freaky years where there's three undefeated teams from other conferences or special circumstances right. that never happen, I think people are putting too much emphasis on that. If, if teams just handle their business, they're going to get in. I'm with you there by and large. And like you said, there are extenuating circumstances if you get undefeated or if Notre Dame shows up uh, at the end. But no, I think that's part of why these next couple of weekends um, that you would like to put in the bank for Utah are really important. And I'm not usually a style points guy, and I know Kyle Whittingham isn't either. But these next weeks, you would be well served, I think, to put the game away in the first half, or at least by the end of the third quarter. Because I, I think you are going to get some eyeballs evaluating whether or not Utah, um, with you know, kind of a middle-of-the-road non-conference schedule, would be able to withstand an in-conference loss. I mean, would a one-loss Pac-12 champion Utah be playoff and Rose Bowl worthy? For me, absolutely. Um, but I think these next couple of weeks, while not the most important to-do list items, certainly factor into that. You don't want to be winning like 17-14 against Northern Illinois. JB, the most basic of questions here for you. How do upsets happen? I mean, you mentioned Arizona, Hawaii. We mm -hmm. saw Tennessee lose to Georgia State. BYU goes back to Tennessee this next week. How do those kinds of things happen? Obviously, the talent is way on the other side. What goes on? Boy, it's almost like you pointed out that an SEC team lost to lesser competition <laughs> in week one. I hadn't heard that narrative. It seems it only happens west of the Mississippi, right? <laughs> um, but, but you're right. The SEC had losses. Tennessee, Missouri, Old Miss, they all dropped games they should have won and were heavily favored. Arkansas barely survived Portland State. So, no, that, that plays into it holistically as well. How do upsets happen? 
Um, I mean, each case is its own instance, but on the whole, I think a combination of things. Teenagers playing, uh, no preseason, travel, school, all the peripheral things. I mean, these are not individuals who are dialed into football and football only. Um, and, and it's an imperfect game. I mean, when you're, when you're playing, you know, 80, 90 individuals, it's far from an active 46 man professional roster. When you have a month of training camp and four preseason games and joint practices and all those sorts of things, it's, uh, it's chaotic. It's absolutely chaotic. And that's what those of us who have followed this sport uh, for so long, absolutely love about it. Even on weeks where you're licking your wounds a little bit and you wish that you you had been able to get a different result in a non-conference matchup. You know, this seems to happen, JB, a lot in the Pac-12, and I'm not saying that's as lopsided as, as Tennessee-Georgia State, but we've had uh, we've been thinking a lot about this because the Utes are very talented this year, but people talk about how teams in the Pac-12 stub their toe along the way and they lose to teams mm-hmm. they shouldn't lose to. And so this is a topic that's on everybody's mind around here. No, I'm sensitive to that too, and I think part of it is everyone stubs their toe. I mean, like you said, if you're undefeated, you're going. But, like, how do teams from other conferences that do stub their toe get the benefit of the doubt? And, you know, I think part of it is is the East Coast bias that we talk about. Part of it is, I think, you know, nationally, maybe teams don't give the Fresnos and the BYUs, um, even the Eastern Washingtons of the world, the credit that they deserve. I mean, now, in my in my other job, I work for the Los Angeles Rams, and it feels like darn near half of our roster right now is from Eastern Washington. It's an FCS program, you know. So uh, I just don't think nationally, um, folks give the Hawaii's of the world the recognition that they are willing to give. I don't know a Georgia State or a Memphis or someone they're more familiar with. Wanted to ask you a little bit about the Rams, JB, and I, I wanted to ask you this. Sean McVay, uh, well, the, let me put it this way. The NFL obviously is is a league where people follow the trends, right? You see other franchises trying mm-hmm. to copy what works. In fact, it, it made me laugh when Arizona hired Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury in the press release. He said, oh, friends <laughs> with Sean McVay. <laughs> the next Sean McVay. The, yeah. You know, they, they found that notable that they were buddies, which which made me laugh. But my question to you is somebody who's so familiar with what's going on there, What where does his match? it come from what is he doing that is so good and so different right yeah you guys would be surprised how many uh, head coaching gigs i was offered this off season just because <laughs> i host the sean mcveigh show uh you know it, it didn't work from a family standpoint but maybe next year <laughs> I, you know i i readily provide this answer um which is sean mcveigh is a genius and, and what he does he is next level x's and o's he operates at a super high level his work rate is extreme and even though he was humbled by Bill Belichick uh, in the most recent game, the Super Bowl, I think he's special. And I'd be surprised if he's not a force in this league for many years to come and eventually a Hall of Fame coach. But that's not what makes him special, to answer your question. I think he has interpersonal skills, leadership ability that transcends football and transcends sports. I genuinely believe if you put him in sports talk radio or politics or law or made him a librarian or whatever it is that you challenged him to do, he's one of those people, you know, Steve Kerr is another one that comes to mind that people just tend to follow and put their trust in. And he has a unique ability, I think, to relate to players who range from 37 years old and and one walk of life to 21 years old in a completely different walk of life and get them to understand that his only interest is their best interest. 
And that's hard to do. I mean, I, I don't, I don't have that ability. Um, you know, and so I, I think that more than anything is why he was able to win the interview. He was trusted to be the youngest modern coach in NFL history and has won, you know, 26 games in two years. And, JB, even though he has that charisma and he's got those people skills that he has and he can communicate, he's humble, too. I mean, I, I, you mentioned the Super Bowl. After that, it seems like he was acquiescing to Bill Belichick and asking questions and learning from the experience and, and unafraid to uh, admit as much. That's, that's exactly it. There's a, there's a humility and there's an accountability, and it's, it's not phony. It's not. It's not a false humility. And this is someone whose grandfather, you know, helped orchestrate the gold rush era in San Francisco and put them on the path to win all those Super Bowls. And I think he's kind of learned, um, if not at, at the heel of the Bill, of Bill Walsh, certainly by his books and his writing and his philosophy. And, you know, Sean McVay's talent as a player ran out uh, a little bit earlier in his career than he would have wanted to. But I think it set him on this path where, uh, to the extent that you can use the expression, he was born to be a football coach, a, a head football coach in the National Football League, and reads books and studies and asks the right questions of the right people to put himself in a position to maximize his very first opportunity, which so few are able to do. And I, I agree with you that anybody who is capable of doing that could probably be a leader in any walk of life. Yeah. No, I, I think that's true. Hopefully he doesn't choose broadcasting because otherwise I'm out of the gig. <laughs> well, JB, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show and giving us a little insight. We really appreciate it, man. Keep up the good work. No, it's my pleasure. I am thoroughly looking forward to being in Salt Lake City the next couple of weekends. And like I said, uh, Utah would be well served to win them handily. I think it will go a long way for them and for the Pac-12. Thanks, JB. Adios. JB Long. Does play-by-play for the Pac-12 Network, but also uh, for the L.A. Rams. Kind of fun to get a little Sean McVay insight because, boy, he is he is a great coach. A little worried about his own job because he thinks if Sean gets tired of the, the coaching grind that he might just slip on over into the other chair. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do a little play-by-play for a minute. <laughs> I'm better than you at what you do for a living, and I've never done it before. You know, I think uh, different sport, different people, all those sorts of things. But uh, I, I thought of Quinn Snyder a little bit when he was describing Sean McVay, talking about how yeah. he could be good at anything. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Coach Snyder got a lot of grief from Duke for crying out loud. I mean, just a, a, a really bright, smart individual. And when they focus their energies to whatever, there's probably a pretty good likelihood that they're going to succeed. And I, I kind of thought about Coach Snyder as he was answering that. I, I think there are commonalities between successful coaches. And they're not all exactly the same. But I remember I remember one time writing a big, a long piece on what makes great coaches great. And it was really an interesting study uh, because even though you have different types of coaches with different kinds of personalities, some coaches, for instance, are 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 dictators and other coaches are, are delegators, you know, but they have certain things in common. And, and he mentioned a number of them with Sean McVay, ability to communicate, ability to motivate, ability to obviously understand what, uh, what you want to get accomplished on the field, on the court, on the diamond, whatever. And, uh, but but personality-wise, they can, they can range in all kinds of ways. So it's... It's it's fascinating. Leadership in general. And I think there's a if it works in the NFL, then it probably would work in the army or in business, you know, or in uh, in any walk of life. So 
anyway, just my thought. Big thanks to J.B. Long for joining us. We'll have more coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.